Yud Adar, Tavshin Pei Aleph. Coming to you live from the offices of Ariel Tours. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Zilber Rifainu Hashem that has become our Corona theme song and um, we open things up with it and we continue to pray even as things start opening up in 
our uh, beloved land of Israel, even as things start to open up, we pray with Eino Hashem and Eirofeo Shein Vashiach. Welcome in one and all. Welcome, welcome. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, we're here each and every Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, 9 AM Eastern, 4 PM Israel time, and around the world, wherever you are, whatever time it is, that's the time we are on. And of course, we're available on demand. That's right, on demand. Via three options. You have three options. Where, where today can you find three options for something that's free? You can go to NachumSiegel.com, go to the archive section, look for the Israel show and enjoy all the other programming while you're at it. You can go to the Nachum Siegel Network app on your device, your iPhone, your other phones, your Androids. Download the app if you haven't yet. I, I can't imagine you haven't. And go to the archive section, and you can get any one of the eight-plus years of, of uh, shows that we've done here. Now, there's a third option, too. You can uh, subscribe uh, to the Apple Podcast. That's another way to do it. That's very cool. So we hope you do uh, well. You're listening, I hope. Those of you that are listening live are hopefully listening live. If you're not listening live, then you've done that already. So the reason I'm telling you all of this is that you should tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your cousins, um, tell people that you're delivering Mishloch Manot to this week, later on, this week, Parim which is on Friday, most of the world, and it's a three-day, see, we had three choices, now we have a three-day Purim, lots of threes. So tell your friends, you can put in a little note on your Mishloch Manot, don't forget to download Nachum Single Network app and listen to the Israel show. And that's, is that a lot to ask? Seriously. Coming up after this next song, the man himself, the man and the network, Nachum Siegel, will join us, and we are going to reminisce about an event that, um, well, it's 28 years later, and the memories are still there. The one and only time that Rush Limbaugh traveled to Israel, spent four days there, four jam-packed days, and um, it was thanks to Nachum, to Rabbi Nate Siegel, that I got to go and be a participant, and thanks to Russia's graciousness, and we'll share with you uh, some memories of that event. Plus, um, we're going to talk to you about the, some of the appointments of the Biden administration and, uh, of course, the effect on Israel. And if there's time remaining, and there probably will be, because uh, we will probably run beyond 10 o'clock. We'll tell you a little bit about the environmental disaster that happened on the coast of Israel um, late last week. In the meantime, Yigal Bashan with Ahavat Hadassah. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> Vani 
song that we were in the middle of not really sure you think we can get it back Actually, in this song, Hadassah is not Esther. But it doesn't matter. It sounds good. It's for Purim. Let's see if this is working. We have this uh, really crazy hookup, but I hope it works. Nahum David Segal, are you with us? Shalom, shalom, Mayor. Can you hear me? Yeah, a little. I'm going to try and raise your volume up a little bit. It's a little far, but let's see. Try now. Shalom, shalom, Mayor. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. It sounds like you're not speaking directly into uh, a mic or a headset or whatever. All right, let's try this. Just a moment. Tell oh, me now this. you're talking. There you go. All right. Hello, hello, all. Yeah, so so get that closer to your mouth if you could. That's, <laughs> unfortunately, that's the closest to go. Okay, so we'll give you more volume. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it can't go. I can't give it more than this. Hopefully... It'll come out reasonable. Well, 28 years. 
Did I lose you just now? No, I'm just uh, no. I I hear you. Twenty twenty eight years is right. I mean, uh, this coming summer would be the twenty eighth anniversary of um, what we called rushing through Israel, or the Rush to Excellence Tour <laughs> Israel edition. It's amazing how many old expressions like "rush to excellence" have come back over the last week, um, which I haven't thought of in God knows how long. Uh, but yeah, that was some adventure and some trip, and many people uh, don't even realize that. I, I, I realized this over the weekend in conversation with some people. They, they thought Rush Limbaugh was a was a regular uh, traveler to Israel. Uh, the reality is that no, he was in Israel once, and that was that one week in July of 1993, and that's it. It, it was actually four days, I think. Yeah. We left on a Saturday night, and I remember at the airport, the woman behind the uh, reservation desk said that her father will freak out that she checked in Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we left on a Saturday night. We got there Sunday night, and I remember we were in the Hyatt Hotel that evening, and Rush was smoking a cigar uh, on the porch overlooking uh, Harasofim. And uh, that was on Sunday night. And then we spent Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, eventually leaving Thursday night. Uh, but really three and a half to four days of comprehensive touring of Israel and uh, showing Rush what, you know, what Israel's all about, the facts on the ground, so to speak. And he was very receptive. He was a great, great quick learner. And that's always an advantage. And I remember he came back the following Monday morning I mean, we landed in Israel in the United States Friday, but he came back um, uh, to the airwaves on Monday morning and gave such a an amazing one-hour glowing report about Israel and how amazing the trip was. And I, I think that that stayed with him all these years. It was one of those uh, one of those episodes in his life, and he never stopped talking about. It. He even brought up he brought up uh, with us about three years ago going back um, for the 25th anniversary of his trip. And um, unfortunately, that didn't work out, but that was it. That was the one lone journey he had. Um, first of all, we should mention, I think everybody realizes this, but we should mention that um, unfortunately, Rush passed away last week at the age of 70 from cancer, and uh, that is what brings about this reminiscence of uh, the trip that we took to Israel. Now, I, I I should tell those listeners that are not familiar with this whole uh, thing that um, your brother, Rabbi Nate Siegel, was a close friend of Rush, going back a long time. But the relationship with Rush Limbaugh between the Siegel brothers and Rush Limbaugh, can you tell us how that started way, way back in the early days of uh, Rush on Radio? When he got to New York in 1988, um, he was under tremendous pressure, especially in New York because of the nature of this town. Uh, he was under tremendous pressure, uh, as was his uh, company, uh, by advertisers to uh, either uh, amend some of the things he said or to um, or uh, they'll boycott him. There, and there were a lot of calls for boycotts, including the hotel where he was staying. Remember, he had just moved from Sacramento. And he he was that was the deal. The deal was the hotel made with the radio station that he could stay there in exchange for advertising. Once they heard his show, and they didn't want anything to do with it, so he ended up with nowhere to go in New York. Oh my! Um, so my brother and I um, basically, you know, heard this guy on the air and said to ourselves, 
you know, he's got to know that there's some, you know, Jews out there who, cares, who care about what he says and agree with what he has to say. And my brother called the radio station, asked for him. He literally picked up the phone. We arranged to take him out that week to Moshe B. King. Remember Moshe B. King? Oh, yeah. We had dinner with him at Moshe B. King, and subsequent to that, we had a dinner the following month at Luigi Siegel. Try to, we tried to give him the entire tour of the kosher. <laughs> right. And then subsequent to that, right after, just after I got engaged to Stacy, he came to uh, he came to Rabbi Nate's house for a barbecue. I think it was Labor Day weekend. I don't know why I'm thinking that. I think it was Labor Day weekend, uh, 1989. And um, he, in fact, it's funny. He was supposed to be at my wedding, and he. It was the one week he had to be out of town. He had to go back to Sacramento. So I, that, we, I, somewhere we have a recording of him wishing me Mazda on the wedding and how he was looking forward to being at his first Jewish wedding. And he ends the segment by going, Mazal Tov! That was, <laughs> that's how he wrapped up the whole segment. Um, Go ahead. And, and we just remained very close friends. The trip, of course, solidified our friendship. And uh, I always say, and I said this on the air also, that he, he always looked at me as like a young protege. I always spoke to him about you know a lot of, a lot of the radio stuff and i was always fascinated of course by everything you have to do with radio but nate because they were closer in age and and um and for you know other reasons as well they they, they had a, what it was what i would call a real friendship i mean they were friends he called them his rabbi and um you know he just it, it was a different type of relationship that each of us had with him um and it was an important relationship because I think that uh, one of the reasons that he was so careful about what he said regarding Israel, and one of the th reasons he really thought through everything carefully before making any statements was because of the relationship we had with him and what we had brought to his attention during that trip. I'll tell you that um, <clears throat> what I find interesting also is how the influence of, of two people, of you and your brother, um, reaching out to Rush Limbaugh, the effect that it had over decades, and the trip to Israel, of course, because not only did Rush come into Israel without any real knowledge of that whole situation, don't forget, most of what he spoke about on the air was domestic issues, right? Yeah. And uh, he came into Israel not really... You know, we didn't have that historic background and left Israel with a total clear understanding. And as he gained popularity, the rest of talk radio, who were his, let's say, his Talmidim, his students, right, or, or, or something like that, they followed his lead. So talk radio today is very, very pro-Israel, partially because of Rush Limbaugh and the influence. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, uh, I think most of the people in the serious conservative talk radio category were hesitant to differ from him on a lot of major issues. I'm sure even even these last issues about whether Trump really won the election or not, I'm sure a lot of them you know, turned to see what was Rush saying in order to, you know, follow his lead in a way or, you know, to determine what, how they're going to approach the whole thing. Uh, when it comes to Israel, there is no doubt, no doubt that they all followed along Russia's party line. And Russia's line was one of great support. He was a big admirer of Benjamin Netanyahu, the current prime minister. Um, he, he loved speaking to him, loved having him on his show. And, you know, he, he, he identified with that end of Israeli politics and with what 
Israel was going through, the enemies it's surrounded with, and what it needs to do to quell intifadas and to destroy the enemy on its borders. He was very sympathetic to that cause, and yes, it had a great effect on what other people in that space um, said about Israel. Well, um, we promised the listeners that we're going to reminisce a little, and I'll tell you, when he passed away and I started thinking about that trip again, because it's not always in the top of my head 28 years ago, I started remembering so many different things. I, I don't know which things you remember offhand, or when I mention them, you'll remember them again. Well, what do you got? I'll tell you what I got. First of all, the first thing I learned was that this is a man who is gracious and generous. Beyond any comprehension, whatever I knew about him, which was not a lot, but you know, listening to the radio a little bit, watching uh, some TV interviews that he did, he, he had this persona that he created. It was a shtick of a bombastic, you know, very uh, egocentric guy. He was the opposite of that in real life. He was, right? Am I right? Yeah, everything he said publicly about himself, he so did not believe. It, it was, was a, it was it a was shtick. Such, such a great act. It was just a great act. And and people don't didn't get that. So uh, two of the things that I remember, we we visited a Christian site, a Christian holy site, and um, I don't know if you were there for that. And and that was one of the first things we did, I believe. Um, and people came over. He wasn't yet as popular as he would become in 1993, but he was already, I think when we came back, he was on the cover of Newsweek or something, right? Right, right. Uh, um, and people came over to ask him for, for, for take a photograph. You think, you know, it's a sacred site, maybe he'd be annoyed. And this happened during the trip numerous times that people would come over and ask for a picture, for an autograph, whatever, with the most he was the most gracious. He was smiling. You'd never for a second let, he, he never for a second let people feel that they were annoying him or bothering him or interrupting him. He did it with a generosity of spirit that was amazing to me. Yeah. Um, and he just never, it, 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 he, and he even said to us at one point, these are my people. These are my listeners. I owe them everything. That was one thing. The other thing I remember, I think you might also remember this, we were at the Dead Sea Scrolls. One of the places he wanted to go to was the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Israel Museum. Um, he even mentioned that he, he remembers hearing about it when they discovered it from his father, they discovered it in the early 1950s, from his father and, and the significance, historical significance. So Malcolm Holliner went with us, arranged the tour uh, with the curator of the Shrine of the Book. Right. Magen Broshi, Allah Shalom, he, also, he passed away a few years ago. And when we were in the main hall, which has which houses what's called the Great Isaiah Scroll, it's it's the one Sefer of Tanakh, the one book of Tanakh that is was found intact, and that's that round thing that you know in the middle of the Shrine of the Book, it's spread around as if like a Megillah. And Rush asked the curator, can I take a photograph? And the curator said, look, the rules are not, but it's okay. Y you can do it. I'm, you know, I'm looking the other way. And Rush was taking a few photos. And a young guy, do you remember this? 
No, go ahead. A young guard that was, you know, on 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 duty there comes over, and in his broken Hebrew says, "Excuse me, no photo, no photo." So Magen Broshi, the curator, says to the guys, "The beseder, anipo." It's okay, it's okay, I'm here, it's okay. And the young kid says to him, who are you? <laughs> I don't know who you are. He says, I'm the curator of the museum. He said, who says who? So Rush didn't understand what was going on, but he figured out that something was amiss. And he asked, and he, you know, they told him, and Rush said, it's okay, I'll stop. Don't, right. We don't have to make a scene. He, he, it was just, it was instinctive. You know, when you're when you're so really humble in a way to say he he could have said, you know what, he's the curator, let him work it out. Right. Those are some of the things I remember. I remember he asked me as we um, as we were le- as I didn't leave with you. I I got there before you and left after you. But um, as uh, they were leaving, he asked me uh, what is considered a proper tip for the guide. Right. And I said the appropriate tip would be, I I don't remember, I probably told him $10, maybe even less per day. There were four touring days and four people. So it's like $160. And he said, okay, thank you. And whatever. Afterwards, I asked the guide, how much did he give you? I wanted to make sure that he was well taken care of because he did a good job. And sometimes people don't tip enough, so I figured I can always add some. He gave him a thousand dollars. Right, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. So you look at these stories and you say, "This is not the man. <laughs> this is so not the man that you hear on the radio." That is obviously a persona that he's created. I remember his uh, his sense of humor from that trip. He uh, when we got back from either the first or second day of touring, so there were a bunch of messages for him. You know how Ed used to work; he used to get messages right. from the front desk. There were a bunch of messages from the front desk. I'd like to take you out for a drink. I'd like to take you to dinner. And, that. <laughs> yeah. and, he's, and he says, "Oh, I forgot to check in under Chuck Knoll." You know, he used to check <laughs> in his hotels under the name Chuck Knoll, who was the great coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he says, oh, "I forgot to check in under the name Chuck Knoll." I remember him regretting. And he told me an important lesson. I remember him regretting not having sent his book, like a case of his book, um, a case of books ahead of time. So he would have them in Israel to give to all the different people that we met, the prime minister and others. And that taught me an important lesson about whenever we do a live show, make sure someone sends swag in advance so it's sitting there when you get there so you have it. Nice. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's really important. No, yeah. The other thing I remember is when, when we informed him when we informed him that Rush tomorrow morning we're going to Masada, he said, uh, knock him any way we could bring Masada to the hotel. <laughs> and everybody in Israel met with him, from the Prime Minister, Yitzhak Rabin Zichonor Livracha, down. And in his, again, amazing graciousness, except for a few minutes at the beginning of the meeting with Rabin and a meeting later, which if you have time, I would like to discuss with you also where we were not allowed to come in for security reasons. Every other meeting, he invited everybody, including me. I was there on duty, but you and Nate, I think, had asked him to include me and he was gracious about it. And every meeting that 
I was like I was like a member of the entourage, and you and Nate, of course, were members of the entourage. He could have just said, "Oh, you know, it's me, and I'm going to go meet with Rabin, and you guys wait for me." Shfulachem poimachamor, right? Right. But, um, but no, it wasn't like that, and that was another amazing thing to me. I, I we Rabin Paris um, Netanyahu, who has that napkin? Nate has it. Nate has it? Yeah. So one of the things that I remember also was that when um, Benjamin Netanyahu, who was head of the opposition at the time, and that's where the connection was made, by the way, the lifelong right. connection. Right. Um, he, he came for breakfast, and this was the first, I think it was the first morning, no, the second morning we were there, I think, yeah. and... And um, Netanyahu got the feeling that he needed to expand a little more on the region and the geopolitical situation. So he took a napkin and he drew the map of the area on a napkin and started explaining the whole geopolitics to rush from this napkin. And then your brother, Rabbi Nate, was smart enough to grab the napkin. He probably had it autographed, no? Yeah, I think I think he told me last week that he has it autographed. Wow, that's amazing. So and you know what? You yeah. know what? I, I loved the the meeting. With all the meetings, and you've, of course, described you know, some high-profile meetings. I loved the one that he had with the, uh, at that time, editor of Jerusalem Post, David Bar-Ilan. Because they, they both had this unique ability to explain complicated political situations easily. They were great ballet masbir, as we would say. Mm-hmm. Right? If someone's a great ball masbir, you know that they get the issue very well. And to watch the two of them analyze the news of the day was very exciting. Um, so I remember that meeting. That's interesting. That's a meeting I don't remember, so I'm happy that you do remember it. And we had I think, you know, every experience on this trip was like a highlight. But a highlight of the highlights was we had a tour through the Shomron, and our tour guide was Ariel Sharon. Right, right. And I remember as we were driving through, and Rush asks, where are we? Are we in the quote-unquote West Bank or whatever? And we were. (laughs) We were very much. And he says... This is what they're complaining about. He saw all the beautiful homes and the the, the um, business, the commerce that's going on, and um, he couldn't believe it. He thought, from everything he's heard, he's heard that they're living in squalor and tents and whatever, and that was one of the remarks that I remember him saying. The other thing is, not as much about Rush, but more about Arik Sharon, we made a stop in a yeshuv called um, what was it um, Bet Aryeh right you remember that stop in Bet Aryeh I don't remember the name of the family but there's a a, a family that their their mere peset their terrace huge terrace overlooks the entire Shvela the plains which means Ben Gurion Airport and all of Tel Aviv and all of the suburbs of Tel Aviv are, are right there, right there at your fingertips. And uh, he would obviously take visitors there a lot to show them, and it, and it explains everything better than any map and any picture and any, anything you want. If, if we allow the Arabs to sit on this ridge of the Shomron Hills, then they can just 
take us out with with a shoulder missile almost, you know? So, Arik Sharon, we pull up to this house. Arik Sharon knocks on the door. A kid opens up, maybe, I don't know, six, seven. And Arik Sharon says, Tagid le'ima sh'arik po. And he says, tell your mother Arik's here. And he just starts marching. <laughs> Leading the group, marching through these people's living room and dining room to this porch, and he starts explaining to us. And everybody, there's nobody, you know, everyone's just oblivious to what's going on, except <laughs> us. And then the little kid comes back a few minutes later, and he like tugs at Eric Sharon's sleeve, and he says, "Ima shoelat ima <laughs> my mother wants to know if you want anything to drink she didn't even bother coming down Ariel Sharon must have been marching in and out of her living room every other day it was such an Ariel Sharon moment what I remember about that day was um, when Rush realized that from that porch that you just described mm-hmm. he was looking at the Mediterranean Sea right Right. And he was like, "What? You know, like it's right there. Like this, this, this is this is all the land that you guys are living on. They want to take away part of it." Mm. Yeah. Yes. Do you have a few more minutes? Sure. Okay. I'm tempted to play a song and then go back, but we're, we're going to not keep you that long. We'll. Um, I have one one story that I just think was amazing. Um, there was one meeting that we were not allowed to attend for security reasons and he was briefed by one of the heads of Israeli military intelligence the director of um, military of Amman he was the director of the I think development of whatever one of the highest ranking intelligence people in Israel he was a general his name was Yaakov, is Yaakov Amidror. He's well-known. He's one of the first and only kippah-wearing generals in the Israeli army till today. And when we waited in the bus and Rush went with Malcolm, and when they came back, we asked, you know, what can you tell us? So Rush he was holding something in his hand he obviously had given they had given him some sort of a gift Rush said do you remember this Nachum? I think so Yaakov Amidror gave him a whole survey of the area the threats from the south the threats from Lebanon the threats from Syria and the biggest threat from the east from Iran and the nuclear weapons and everything and Rush which is always interesting to me. What do you ask a person like that? You can ask about it. He had a personal question. He said, how do you wake up every day and come to work? When you <laughs> with know... Enemy, with, the enemy, with the enemy surrounding you. When you know that, look what's going on. How are you ever going to get out of it? And Yaakov Amidur opens his top drawer of his desk, takes out a Tanakh, right. puts it on the table and says... Because I have a promise right in this book that we will ultimately win. Right. Pretty dramatic. And then he gives the Tanakh to Rush and he says, 
This is a souvenir of your visit. All right. I that was to me one of the more unfortunately we weren't in it, but even just hearing it was uh, one of those goosebump moments. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. <sighs> Some souvenir, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Anything you want to add? Um, no. That he was look. He was he was a beloved person. Um, we know about the tens of millions of, Ameri- of Americans who loved him. It's a shame that people who did not know him make assumptions about him. Uh, which are almost impossible to refute these days. Um, and, uh, you know, all the accolades about how great an entertainer he was, what an incredible transformer he was, the radio medium, how he saved AM radio, uh, how he, uh, how he was after Ronald Reagan, the, um, the leader of the conservative movement in this country. All those are true. And uh, to have known him and to have been on one of the most significant journeys of his life uh, was extra special and pretty amazing. Uh, for those of you who just tuned in, it was the, it was the summer of 1993 when Mayor and myself and the delegation that we described were with him in Israel, and it was a life-changing experience for us, and for him it certainly was a uh, thought-changing experience, or certainly a thought-provoking experience, which led to a very important um, uh, person on the political scene of this country uh, being um, uh, being outspoken in his support of Israel. And um, it's hard to believe that he's gone. It's hard to believe all these years have passed. But as you said, Mayor, you never know the power of a phone call. You never know the power of reaching out and you know, somebody, in this case, we, the Jewish people, hit the jackpot. We reached out, and we as a people benefited from it. But everybody out there should think about it. Should think about you know reaching out to somebody. The differences you can make. You know, it's funny. Um, we have a congresswoman in um, here in New York City. Um, someone said to me we should meet with her. The Iran deal. She's pro the Iran deal. And I was very skeptical. And then I went to the meeting with her. And at the end of the meeting, which was really really friendly and nice, she said, "I just want you to know something." I know how I might end up voting on this deal, but because you're here, I am going to seriously consider it a lot more than I would have if you weren't here. Now, I don't know if that means she's changing her vote, and I don't know if if it means that years from now she may think differently and change her vote, you know, on on some other topic. Who knows? But the the, uh, establishment of, of relationships with people in powerful positions, journalists, radio announcers, members of the House, members of the United States Senate, local legislators, etc. It is priceless. It is priceless. And not every story is a Rush Limbaugh story with the drama of a trip to Israel, but there are a lot of great stories of synagogue rabbis and leaders and community leaders who have reached out and who have played an important role in getting local issues uh, and, uh, and, and more prominent issues uh, on the agenda. And I think it's, that's probably the most important lesson from all of this. Yep, thank you. Thank you for that. You know, I heard last night, I don't remember who I heard it from, but um, one of the many people that was speaking about Rush uh, said, you know, he used to, part of his shtick was he used to say, with talent on loan from God. Right. And this person said, and now he's upstairs and he's returning the loan. He's repaying the loan. All right. 
And he said, we should all remember that whatever we have, whatever talent we have, whatever we have is on loan from God. And eventually, we have to return, repay the loan. And the question is, are we going to repay the loan in a way that we've done well, God invested in us, and we invested in ourselves, and now the loan is that much that much bigger, so to speak, when we return it? Or are we going to return the loan the same way we got it, unfortunately, which means we didn't do enough in this world? So that's a, that's a beautiful message that I take away from the talent on loan from God. We're all, everything's on loan from God. No question about it. And think of it, it's five words. But he had a way of summing up situations in five words. He had his uh, uh, undeniable truths of life, which are amazing. It's an amazing list. If you ever saw it, you should Google it, his undeniable truths of life. And, yeah, that he was able to say that and to express so many things in such a short, succinct, and direct manner. Just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. And, um, I don't know, we got to do this more often. All right, I appreciate that. Thank you. You, you, you <laughs> I, If I hold you to it, it's going to be a different story. I don't know how much you'll appreciate thank it. Thank you, Mayor Weingarten, for sitting in this Friday on Purim Morning. Oh, that's true. Yes, I'll be sitting in for Nachum Siegel on Friday morning. Purim, or one-third of Purim if you're in Yerushalayim. <laughs> Thanks so much. We're going to go to some music. Here is Udi Davidi with Ru'u Be'ori Shizareach. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network. Oh, man. 
נשבר, שרוע על אדמת נכר, איילת השחר מפציעה, כל דודי דופק, הגיע כבר הזמן, הנה הנה זה בא. Our Meir Milim segment, we shed light on a word or phrase in the Hebrew language. Meir Milim is inspired by the Galei Tzahal radio segments of Dr. Avshalom Kor and informed by the teachings of Dr. Lior Gottlieb. Here is this week's installment. Get your hammer, get your nails, we're going to build us a sukkah. Why a song about Sukkot? Are we so drunk that we've confused the holidays? Hang on, we'll have it all figured out very soon. On Purim, we have a custom of wearing a costume. It is a custom, by the way. It's not mentioned in the Megillah or anywhere in the Gemara, and it's unclear when it started. In modern Hebrew, the mask, which covers our face, is a masecha. We find the very same word in Parshat Kitisa. The people of Israel create a golden calf, which the Torah calls an egel masecha. And later, in the same parsha, God commands us, Elohei masecha lo ta'aselach. Do not make for yourself a masecha god. So let's think for a moment. What's the connection between a masecha, a mask, that we use to disguise ourselves, and an egel masecha, an idol worship? The answer, nothing. They are two words that sound alike, but mean totally different things, and come from two totally different sources. Let's go to the Tfilat Musaf of Shabbat. Olat Shabbat b'Shabato al Olat HaTamid v'Niska. What is a Nesach, or the Nisachim, that we read so much about when we speak about the Korbanot? It's a liquid, oil or wine, that we pour over the Korban. The term Yayin Nesach, which we use colloquially to describe wine of Avodah Zarah, literally means wine that is poured, with the understanding that it was poured as part of an idol worship ritual. So nasach means poured something. Now, how would you go about making a golden calf? There's probably a YouTube video explaining the process. I'll give you a summary. You take gold jewelry. You heat it till it melts. You create a mold of a calf 
and then you pour the liquid gold into the mold where it hardens and ta-da, you have your golden calf. An egel masecha is an idol that is the result of pouring, of nesech. Nesech masecha. In English, it's called a molten calf. What does this have to do with the masecha we wear on Purim? As we said, nothing. They are two totally different things. And here's where Sukkot comes in. Sachach, the Sukkah and the Sachach, which comes from the same word, shield us. More specifically, it covers us. The Pasuk in Tehillim, which we also say often in our tefillah, Be'evrato yasech lach, Be'evrato, with his wing, yasech lach, he will cover you. Be'tachat knafav techaseh, and you will find refuge under his, God's wings. In the Mishkan, there's a masach, va'asita masach lefetach ha'ohel, techelet v'argaman v'tolat shani, etc. Make a masach for the entrance to the Mishkan. Masach can mean either a large cloth that hangs from tall pillars and acts as a partition, a screen that hides what's behind it, or masach could mean a large cloth that we drape over something, again, to cover it. And it's related, masach, to sachach and sukkah. They all have a meaning of covering or protecting or hiding. By the way, the English word mascara, which is a type of makeup, comes from here as well. It covers up. The modern Hebrew word masecha, meaning mask, is related to the masach, the screen used to hide or protect. But Masecha, Masecha specifically, was chosen because it sounds very much like the English word mask, Masecha. And so now we've unmasked it all. An Egel Masecha is an idol that was created by pouring boiling metal into a mold and comes from the word Nesech, which means to pour. The mask, the Masecha, that we wear on Purim, comes from the word masach, which means a screen that hides and protects, as do the words sechach and sukkah, both of which cover and protect us. May God always protect us and allow us to rejoice on our holidays and all year round. And that's this week's installment of the Meir Milim segment. I'm Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
medley with uh, a Sephardic twist. I'll be filling in for Nachum. That's one of the traditions of Purim that I fill in for Nachum since, what, 23, 24, 25 years ago, something like that. Um, and I uh, hope you'll all join us over at JM in the AM. Six to nine, Purim morning for great music, great comedy segments, and uh, great talk. And we're going to wrap up with the late Ofra Chaza. I think her yurt site is coming up in the next month or so. Can't be 100% sure. I believe so. This is the famous Imnin Alu. And we're going to close up with that song. But first we say thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks plus... I usually say my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. So that plus my very special thanks to Nachum Siegel for joining us today and spending 45 minutes um, reminiscing with me about the Rush Limbaugh and his uh, trip that, because of Nachum and, uh, and Rabbi Nate, his brother, I was able to join and be a full participant in. So um, thank you again, as always, for Nachum Se- to Nachum Siegel. Um, at about one hour from now, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, which is 6 p.m. Israel Time, and wherever you are, whatever time it is, that's the time it's on, an hour from now. Jake Novik with Novik Now. Israel is hit with another false accusation that happened over the weekend on Saturday Night Live. What's the best response, and what can we learn from it? Make sure to join Jake Novak on Novak Now, and if you can't join, listen to it on the archives. He's always got some great stuff to say. And then, the great Monday Music Marathon. Until Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, and for those who are tuned in to JM in the AM on Puri Morning between 6 and 9, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. Oh no, they're just running in a different race. Amen.